Welcome to the Wealth Standard Podcast with host Patrick Donahoe, author of the best-selling personal finance book, Heads I Win, Tales You Lose, and one of the nation's most influential financial advisors. The Wealth Standard's focus this season is investing. 2020 opened with markets and asset prices at all-time highs, but many of us experience more financial uncertainty now than we did a decade ago. Although there are more choices and opportunities than ever before, the risk-to-reward ratio teeters on a global fulcrum, contributing to the roller coaster of emotions surrounding financial well-being. It seems like everyone is walking on eggshells. This season, we'll cover topics revolving around investment theory and strategy, atypical investments versus conventional investments, and the role of investing within personal wealth strategies. The Wealth Standard Podcast is committed to inspiring you to be more financially free. There is no better time to gain clarity about your wealth strategy, your investments, and your financial future than now. Taking a break from the show, you know, entrepreneurs inspire me. I love meeting leaders of successful ventures who discover an idea, formulate the business, and then execute. You'd assume that they know how to structure their personal finances. I believed that too, but I was wrong. Entrepreneurs are never taught to effectively manage their wealth to work alongside their business and lifestyle. All of that work, effort, toil, and time wasted. Entrepreneur 101 is an online course that teaches you a financial strategy that works so that success is not a flash in the pan, but lasting. The spirit of the entrepreneur doesn't have to be compromised. Register for the Entrepreneur 101 course today for free at thewealthstandard.com forward slash E-N-T. That's Echo November Tango, thewealthstandard.com forward slash E-N-T. Lately, I have been studying mental models and information frameworks. The reason being is I'm learning that more information is actually not beneficial to people. Our brains are designed to survive. They're really old and have not evolved to the point where we're able to properly evaluate and understand new information, especially as it relates to making progress. Ultimately, our brain forms these shortcuts that allow us to make sense of things, but they are ultimately biases, cognitive biases, and are essentially preventing us from understanding new information, evaluating new processes, and so forth. These mental models and frameworks are a more conscious and intentional way of understanding new information because more information without these mental models and frameworks will go in one ear, out the other, and we will just continue to reinforce what we already believe and understand, which prevents us from getting what we want. I'm going to speak to that more in more detail on next week's episode. But in this week's episode, I have a organizational psychologist joining me. He has a new book out that we discuss, and it is definitely an informational framework that you will want to know about. 
So Dr. Ron Friedman is a award-winning psychologist. He's serving the faculty of the University of Rochester. He's consulted political leaders, nonprofits, and many of the world's most recognized brands. He is published in multiple newspapers, The New York Times, Washington Post, uh, The Guardian, and magazines like Psychology Today and the Harvard Business Review. I can keep going on and on with his accolades. He founded a organization called Ignite 80, which is a learning and development company that translates research in neuroscience, humans, physiology, and behavioral economics into practical strategies that help working professionals become healthier, happier, and more productive. The Ignite 80, the 80 out of that company name is based on studies that have been done that show the percentage of employees who are disengaged at work. So his new book is Decoding Greatness, which is a way to reverse engineer success and apply it to your specific life. Again, it's a great mental model or information framework, and you should definitely pick up the book. There is also a website that you can get access to. The access is actually a free course. All you have to do is buy the book, take a picture of the receipt, and then upload that to a link that is available on decodinggreatnessbook.com, which will show you how to apply this information framework or mental model to your life to gain even more success. Guys, thanks for supporting the podcast. Thanks for listening in this week. Enjoy this interview with Dr. Ron Friedman. Okay, Ron, it's awesome to have you on. Just from your background, you're a voracious reader, an intellectual. You've already written one book. You have a new book that just came out. I'm excited to interview you. Thanks for taking the time and welcome to the show. Of course, my pleasure. So Ron, I thought it'd be helpful to start with what led to the decision to write another book. You wrote a book in 2014, I believe. And obviously writing another book, it's quite the endeavor, (laughs) especially Simon & Schuster being your publisher. What led to that decision? Oh, man. I mean, I love reading. And one of the best ways I can apply reading academic journal articles is translating that into plain English so that everyone has access to the insights. And that's kind of the genesis of my first book. My first book was called The Best Place to Work. And in that book, what I did was I took over a thousand academic journal articles and I translated them into plain English so that regardless of whether you're a CEO or just someone starting out, you had access to the latest science about how to elevate your performance and create a great workplace. My background is in social psychology. And my experience was I left academics after teaching for a period of years, and I joined a polling firm. My job was to measure public opinion and to figure out what is it that customers believe and how do we shift those opinions by applying psychological principles And in that experience of being in the corporate world, after having studied top performance in the lab and and writing about it in academic journals and in writing book chapters, what I discovered was that there's a massive gap between what science knows and what business does. And so I wrote a book that showed organizations had become great workplace. There was something missing from that first book. What was missing is that even within the best organizations, there's a range of performance levels. Some people are top performers, others are not. And so the question was, what are top performers doing differently? And that became the focus of this book, Decoding Greatness, which identifies a particular skill that they have that is learnable to all of us that we can then use to both accelerate our abilities and succeed faster. So how would you characterize we, right? Because you put us in a group as far as how we succeed faster. Like who's the person that was in your mind as you were writing? I'm thinking about business professionals who do work that involves some level of creativity. 
And that's just about any kind of knowledge worker. So if you think about creativity, the prototypical thought that comes to mind is artists or poets, but creativity at its core is just about problem solving. And we all need to be creative in the way that we approach to solve problems. And so if your job involves any kind of problem solving or creativity, this is a book that's going to show you how to succeed faster. So how did you characterize the obstacles? Like what was in the way of those who were in these creative leadership positions, right? And what holds them back? That's a great question. And I'll tell you that this is the big idea of the book. So if you think about the stories we've been told about how people succeed, they basically fall into two camps. The first story is that greatness or top performance or success comes from talent. So the idea is we all have certain inner strengths that we're born with. And the key to finding your greatness is to identify your talent and then find a field that allows your innate strengths to shine. The second story is that greatness comes from practice. This is the Malcolm Gladwell story, 10,000 hours, practice, practice, practice. Eventually you will elevate your skills and get to a high level of performance. But within knowledge work, within work that involves creativity and thought and problem solving, there's a third story. And that third story is one that people don't often talk about, but it is a remarkably common path for artists and entrepreneurs and inventors. And that path is reverse engineering. And reverse engineering simply means finding examples that are the best in your field and then working backward to figure out how they were created and how you can apply them to create something entirely new. And within Silicon Valley, this is an approach that is very well known. This is how we got the personal computer, the laptop, the mouse the iPhone, but it's also how Stephen King and Malcolm Gladwell learned to write and how Pablo Picasso and Claude Monet learned to paint. And even how people like Judd Apatow learned to write comedy. Reverse engineering turns out to be a lot more common than anyone had ever realized. And it's something we don't often talk about. And I wanted to just bring it to the fore, demystify it and show people how they can apply it in their lives to become more successful. So you as a psychologist, right? And the specialty in understanding what makes people tick, why do they do what they do? You have to look at the two primary stories that you referenced. And those stories have been recurring over and over and over and over again. And obviously with psychology, I think we're designed in a sense to develop habits and we just keep doing things the way we've done them. And it's hard to break those habits. So what are typically the, I would say, events, the feelings, the experiences, people in the camp of repeating those stories over and over thinking that's the road to success. Like, What do they have to experience in order to be open to a new story? Well, I think there's some truth to both of the stories. I'm not suggesting that talent doesn't matter. I'm not saying that the practice doesn't matter. Both of those things matter. But I think the, the challenge with those two stories, however, is that they're not the only paths. And more than that is... We've been told these stories for so long that I think that they've become problematic from the perspective of if I don't feel like I have talent or if I don't have 10 years to invest in practice, I become, I capitulate. I'm like, okay, well, greatness is for somebody else. That's not for me, but this is a faster way to learn. And I think that part of the reason this has remained under the radar for so long is because we've been taught that if you study someone else's work too closely, then you're going to copy their work and you're going to be a hack and there's something wrong with you. But the truth is that that's how learning happens is we study others and we figure out what their model is. And then we find a way to make it our own. And this isn't just to be clear, this isn't about copying. 
because even if you do copy, chances are you won't be successful. The reason you won't be successful is like, let's say I figure out what you're doing on your website and I'm just like, steal it. <laughs> I just make it my own, right? Some countries do that, right? So they copy <laughs> products, they copy intellectual property. It's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is having an analytical framework for understanding why something works. So if I, just to follow through on that example, if I copied your website, am I going to have the same revenue as you have? No, of course not, because there's going to be a mismatch between my expertise and my experiences, my personality, and your execution, number one. And number two is that audience expectations shift over time. So I give the example in Decoding Greatness of the book Twilight. Everybody remembers this book. It's about a teenager falling in love with a vampire. After Twilight came out, there was an explosion of young adult books about kids falling in love with vampires, and they all failed. And it wasn't because they were all terrible. It was because audiences were familiar with the formula and they were bored by it. But you know what worked? What worked was a few years later, Abraham Lincoln fighting vampires. That exploded because it evolved the formula a little bit. So that's what we're talking about is figuring out why something works identifying the different elements that make it unique, and then combining it with other elements to evolve it in a new direction that allows you to be more successful by leveraging something that was successful in the past, but also evolving it to make it consistent with your actual strengths. Yeah. What was coming to mind as you were giving that example, directly copying something, it's prone to failure. At the same time, like there's like frameworks such as Hero's Journey, right? Mm -hmm. That are evident in so many different movies and books, yet it's this very similar, if not the same framework that then could be applied to what you were referencing before the uniqueness and individual creativity of somebody. hundred percent. I'll tell you a story yeah. that builds on that. So this is a story in the first chapter of Decoding Greatness about Kurt Vonnegut. Everyone's heard that name. He's a very famous writer. And what Kurt Vonnegut would do for fun is he would take stories and turn them into pictures. And what I mean by that is he would graph them out where on the x-axis at the bottom from left to right was time from the beginning of the story to the end of the story. And on the y-axis from bottom to the top was the trajectory of the protagonist's fortunes, meaning how are things going for the main character? Are things yeah. good? Are things bad? And as he did this, what he realized is that basically, if you take all the stories ever told, there are six basic stories. One of them is the hero's journey. He called it man in a hole. And the other thing he realized when he did this was that a lot of the stories that we have fallen in love with, we don't realize them, but they're the same story. They just have different characters. So he gives the example of Cinderella and he compares that to Annie. And if you think about it, it's the same story. So at the beginning of the story, both Cinderella and Annie are in a bad place. Annie's an orphan on the street. Cinderella is being abused by her stepsisters and stepmother. Then something good happens. Cinderella gets invited to the ball. Annie gets rescued by Daddy Warbucks. Then something bad happens. And he gets taken by people pretending to be her parents. The clock strikes midnight. And then finally, they both live happily ever after by being reunited with the person they were meant to be with all along. It's the same story. We don't realize it. And in fact, years later, computer analysts took thousands of movie scripts and Broadway shows and novels and looked to see what, what the patterns were. And what they found was analytically, Vonnegut was right. There's six basic stories. And once you know those formulas, so many things become clear. Like, for example, Harry Potter is a book that we all love. The movie is great. And when you read it, it's so easy to be enchanted by the characters and the setting and the storyline. But then when you step back and you really analyze what's happening, what you realize is that, wait a second, this isn't the first time I've heard of an orphan who's living with his aunt and uncle who's whisked away on an adventure to find an evil villain and discovers their secret powers. There's another story just like that, and it's called Star Wars. 
Now, that doesn't mean that J.K. Rowling's work isn't creative or entertaining or remarkable. It is, but when you recognize that there's a formula at play, that empowers you to create your own unique thing. And that's why I wanted to go off on that tangent. Again, it's one of those ideas that there are these formulas out there that you can copy, right? Using the word you used before. And it doesn't mean that you're not creative or unique, right? And again, I think a lot of it's psychology, right? You can have a lot of psychological background to why these stories lead to a successful outcome. Mm-hmm. So maybe get into the, again, the third story that you're talking about reverse engineering, like what is that formula and how can somebody take that formula and apply it to their uniqueness and creativity? Yeah. So what I love about this is that it is applicable to any field. So regardless of what you do, there's a way that you're going to be able to apply this. And it is really distinct to the particular field. So just to give you some examples, I'm a writer, nonfiction writers, I will tell you, will often go to the back of the book, to the bibliography, to see what are the sources that went into creating this book. Chefs will order dishes to go and they'll take an intricate sauce and they'll line it up on a white plate. And sometimes there's a magnifying glass involved and they'll look to identify what are the ingredients that went into this dish. Photographers will look for clues that are hidden within the image. For example, they'll look at the reflection in the eye of the person in the image because that tells them where the light source was placed. They look at the length of the shadows that tells them the intensity of the light. Now, I don't do that because I'm a novice, but experts have these techniques that they use to work backward and deconstruct how something was created. And that really is the critical thing is to think about Don't just passively enjoy something when you come across it, whether it be a website, maybe it's a well-written email, maybe it's a presentation deck that you found really impactful. Take a step back and think about, hey, what's different about this example? What can I learn from this? How do I apply this to the thing I'm working on? And just to make this concrete, the first step to reverse engineering is to become a collector. And what I mean by that is to start your own collection of works that you consider remarkable. And When we think about collections, we think about physical objects. We think about artwork. We think about wine. We think about stamps. That definition is way too narrow. Collections extend to knowledge work as well. So I can tell you, designers collect logos. Marketers collect websites. I'm a writer. I collect powerful words. I collect stories. I collect academics, articles, and sometimes I look to pair them up. What's a good story that connects to this study, right? That's the key to supercharging your creativity. But also, once you have that collection, you can start comparing what's in that collection versus what didn't make it. And that process of, you know, it's like playing spot the difference, which we played as kids. We had two images side by side and you compare them, what's different about this versus the other. That's what you're looking to do here because that process of getting analytical about what's different about this example, once you do that consistently, you can't help but identify the ingredients that made it successful. And you're forcing yourself to think on the blueprints level. You're not thinking about like, okay, what's happening on the word level. You're zooming out and you're looking at the totality of a piece. And that's where you start identifying patterns. So let me just take a step back when a person goes in and decides that, okay, I'm going to go start identifying patterns outside of what I'm doing Mm -hmm. to lead to more success. It's typically because they face some chokeholds, they face disruption, they face a challenge, right? So it's talent, and effort only got them so far, right? And the frustration of not being able to get to the next level typically is, I would say, in my experience at least, leads to, okay, I need to find another path. So now this next path is, okay, I'm going to go and reverse engineer the successes that I see, whether it's at the macro level or the micro level, like a website or a book or a movie, 
or a leadership style. Ben, so when you're reverse engineering this, like what's the other part to the formula where someone's able to extract the ideas and then apply them to their particular situation? So first I would say, if you're waiting until you're in a bad place, that's too late. You got to do this all the time. This is a mindset. This isn't about like a one-time shortcut or fix. Like this is something that you need to be doing all the time. And we talked about starting a collection. You need a process, right? So that process should be easy for you to use so that you use it. If it's not easy, you're not going to do it. So for me, it could be bookmarking things. I can put things into Google Docs. Some people like to use Pinterest. You need a process that allows you to just dump it somewhere quickly so that you don't have to think about it, but then you have that option to revisit it later on. Now you asked what becomes the process for actually using this? And the answer is once you've started analyzing what makes things unique, you can create a template. So really I like to use the word templatize. It's not a word should be a word because you can take a well-written email, figure out what's happening in each of the paragraphs. I call this reverse outlining. So outlining is when you bullet point what you're going to put in a finished piece. Reverse outlining is to take somebody else's finished piece and then work backward to create an outline of what actually is happening in terms of the order and the chronology. Once you do that, you can create a template for yourself. And I'll give you an example of how I learned this. This is how I came across the idea of reverse engineering. What initially sparked the book was in graduate school, I needed to write academic journal articles in order to get a job as an academic. And I didn't know how to do it. And it was a really painful process. Nobody taught me how to do it. There was no course on how to write academic journal articles. Everyone's just supposed to kind of go figure out how to do it themselves. And so for a long time, I was stuck. And until one day I decided instead of trying to just stare at a blank screen and try to come up with it, I was going to take some other academics work and just bury myself in it. Just read one article after another, because this guy was a great writer. I wanted to understand why it was great. And through that process of reading one article after another, what I came across was a formula. And it was apparent once you'd read every article at one at a time in a row. And what you would discover is that he start off the article by posing some kind of startling fact, something that was really surprising and eye-opening. Then he would pose a rhetorical question. Then he would do a literature review, and then he would present his thesis. That was the formula. Once I knew that, I had a template for writing academic journal articles. All I needed to do was find my startling fact, then pose my rhetorical question, then do my literature review, and then present my thesis. That was my approach to identifying his formula. And once I knew how to do that, I realized that I had an approach that I could use for writing anything. And it's literally how I wrote my first book proposal, how I wrote my first book, how I did presentation decks as a consultant is finding great examples, working backwards, creating a template, and then applying it. And when I would share with people what I was writing in Decoding Greatness, if they were a creative professional, invariably, the reaction was the same, which is, man, I've been doing that all my life and I've never read about it. I didn't know that 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 was a thing. And that was the intention in writing this book is to show people this is how the top performers are doing it. And this is how you can apply it to create your own marketing materials or whatever it is you need to create. This is an approach that can help. Something's coming to mind and this may seem somewhat bizarre, but Elon Musk has praised this idea of reasoning by first principles and talks about what first principles thinking is versus how most people think, which is thinking by analogy, taking what already exists and applying that by slight variation. Like, How does reasoning by first principles differ than reverse engineering? Or are there some like similarities in harmony with those two ideas? 
Can you remind me what that is? I've read about it, but I don't remember it anymore. Yeah. Reasoning by first principles Mm -hmm. is breaking something down to the primary purpose, right? So if you look at Tesla, right? Elon Musk, he says that the first principles that led to Tesla's success was creating a sustainable battery, right? Mm -hmm. And you go to SpaceX, right? He says that first principles thinking led to being able to recycle rockets. So it leads to this fundamental baseline idea. It wasn't taking the electric car that already existed and and improving it, right? It was breaking down, okay? And in a sense, it's reverse engineering. That's why I'm asking the question, breaking it down to the fundamental principles and reasoning up from there. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? It does. I I do think though that I want to distinguish between reverse engineering as figuring out how person A created something versus reverse engineering as figuring out how I can learn from that thing that he created and recreate it myself. And my focus is more about how can I recreate it, much less than what was their intention or how they went about it, because that's kind of irrelevant for me. What I'm more interested in is how can I build my skills? And so I guess that's the way I look at it a little bit more than like, for example, like I might be able to give you an analysis right now of Barack Obama's steep speaking style or how Malcolm Gladwell writes, or in fact, in the book, I reverse engineer the most popular TED talk of all time. It's Sir Ken Robinson. I show you what he's doing mm. differently versus everyone else. Mm, interesting. I'm not interested in how he wrote it. No, you just want the fundamental framework. Yeah. I just want to understand what makes it work and what can I learn from it? Yeah. And that's where I, and I see a harmony between the two ideas. That's where I was trying to get to, because it's not necessarily using the words or using the body language, right? It's not the specific point, but it's more of the framework, right? It's more of the outlined idea that is general enough, but not specific to exactly what they were talking about. Uh All right. So your book goes through a lot of this. (laughs) And so part of my ignorance, but I would say, as you look at what makes people tick, I think everyone wants to be successful, but yet people aren't. And some of it's unwillingness to change because it's too hard. But this, I would say, provides again, that third path, which I like. It's not to discount necessarily path one and path two, because there's still relevance there. Yeah. But this is a path three, which is more of a shortcut, right? It's the ability to find what's already successful, right? And find the commonalities so that you can be successful. So I would say, number one, what are some examples, right, that you've seen based on this work that led you to believe that this was a truth? And then what have you seen as failures of a person maybe not able to take these ideas and apply it to their situation? Yeah. I think it's important sometimes, obviously, identify the successes, but also if you don't use it, what's going to happen? Yeah. We talked about Vonnegut as an example. I think he's a really prime example because it's a real creative field. I'll show you the ways in which other people have applied this in a way that perhaps is a little bit different than the way you're thinking. And one of my favorite stories in the book is the story of Barack Obama. And most people don't realize this, but when he first entered politics, he was a little bit of a disaster. He got trounced his first race for Congress. He lost by a margin more than two to one. And the problem, if you can believe it, was that he was a terrible speaker. (laughs) So he was a law school professor. And as a law school professor, he was used to talking in abstractions and lecturing students And voters do not like to be lectured to. And they let him know when it came time on election day. So he was lost for a while. He was broke. He was thinking about leaving politics. And then someone in his campaign staff said, why don't you take a look at what pastors are doing at the church? 
and how they're engaging their listeners. And he came back a little while later, and all of a sudden, his speaking style was transformed. He was now telling stories from the Bible. He was using repetition. He was using inflections on certain words. He was modulating his tone. He was slowing down at times for effect. And that approach really transformed him. And obviously, the rest is history. And what I love about that story is that Barack Obama didn't go and find his talent. He didn't spend 10,000 hours practicing. He looked at what was working in a different field and incorporated it into his approach. And that systematic approach of looking around at other fields, not just what's going on in your industry, turns out to be critical. And again, it's identifying, spot the difference. What are they doing differently? And how do I apply this to my field? Another great example of this is you'll remember the doors, light my fire, right? So when you hear light my fire, it sounds pretty different. And when you look at the story of how that song was written, initially they came up with a song that was very rock and roll. And some people put it in the band, didn't like it. They called it very Sonny and Cher, which is at the time was a way to dismiss something as not being very unusual, just very mainstream and lame. And so they decided that they were going to riff on this rock and roll song by adding elements from other genres to make it a little bit different. So they added bossa nova to the beat and the bass line and then they started the song by riffing on johann sebastian bach and those different musical elements combined to create something that was completely unique and it was again by looking at what was going on in different genres and combining the elements and that's how creativity happens you know this is you ask what happens when you don't do this well the problem is that we think that creativity is about thinking really deeply and going inside, but that's not how creativity happens. Creativity happens by looking at what's going on in other fields and other genres and combining the elements that are working into unique and novel combinations. And we're often told that practice is the way to get better. But the problem with that formulation is that outside of sports, you can't practice an idea you've never considered. And so if you are just looking inward and you're operating with intellectual blinders. And really, if you want to get better, particularly in knowledge work, if you're working in any kind of white collar job, the only way to get better is to study others and figure out why it is that their work is successful and how you can apply that to your work. What goes to my mind is I think people are naturally inclined to be creative. It's just the formula for expression, mm-hmm. right? There is no formula. People just try to express in different ways and it just doesn't work. This is ultimately a formula so you can take that would say unique creativity and have a formula to actually express it successfully. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, just to make this concrete, let's say you're a real estate magnet listening to this show and you want to start a podcast. Well, you have a formula that you could potentially use by the one that's used here, or you can listen to other podcasts and figure out what do do you like about those podcasts and what makes them different. And then you can combine those elements and use it with your expertise to create something that is brand new that allows you to express your ideas in a completely new way. The alternative to this, right, is like find your talent. What are you good at? You know, think about it for yourself, like good luck to you, right? Or practice, practice, practice. By the time you have practiced your 10,000 hours, no one's listening to your podcast because you were terrible the first 10,000 hours. You've got to get it right out of the gate. And the way to do it is by reverse engineering what's working for other shows, maybe figure out what other genres or other forms of entertainment really capture your attention and see what's working there. So in my case, I'm a writer. It would be easy for me to just say, okay, Gladwell's the most successful writer. Why don't I just figure out what he's doing and apply that formula? But that's not going to work because many writers have tried that and his work is now very popular. People are aware of the formula. It's not going to work if you just copy his formula. But in my case, 
what I have found as a reader is that I don't have the patience for very long stories. I like quick stories that get right to the action item. And I embrace that about myself. And so in my book, I've got hundreds of stories about both celebrities and business titans that show you why what they're doing is working and how you can apply it. And that's a style that's a little bit different because it's very quick and very action-oriented. But I embrace that about myself as a listener, I mean, rather a reader, and I've emulated that and made it concrete as a writer and executed against it. So the point here is not simply just to copy blindly. It's to be more sensitive to why something is successful and listen to your own preferences and then be very methodical in bringing that to life. Well, this has been awesome. I'm learning a lot. I'm looking forward to reading slash listening to your book. I appreciate that. Final words. I think there's some definite nuggets of wisdom in this interview, but anything else you want to leave the audience with? I just want to emphasize something we said earlier, which is that I think the stories that we tell ourselves about success really matter. And if you have just assumed that you don't have the talent or you don't have the 10,000 hours and therefore it's too late for you to either switch careers or to try something new because it's never going to happen, I want to urge you to rethink that. And this book's going to show you how to get there faster by learning from the best. And all you need is a methodical approach to learning from the best so that you can accelerate your success. And that's what this book, Decoding Greatness, allows you to do. Especially these days, there's so much information, there's so much media, there's so many ideas out there and people's attention and capacity to learn is almost in kind of this state of inertia. And they're looking for shorter ways. They're looking for those nuggets. And so I like how you've kind of broken it down into simple terms. Yeah. And one, oh. well, I'll just add to that. One of the strategies in the book for evolving formulas, in other words, we talked about how if you just take a formula that's working and you apply it to yourself, you're probably going to fail. You want to evolve it somehow. One of the formulas for evolving, I think you'll like this, is willful ignorance. And what I mean by willful ignorance is deliberately not listening to all the podcasts everybody else is listening to, not reading all the newsletter everybody else is listening to, because by tuning out the same influences as everyone else, you will have different ideas than everyone else. And so it's about being very deliberate about what you consume and combining those elements with the best practices in your field. And so it's all about intentionality and having a method. And that's what I'm trying to help people achieve. Well said. I think that vulnerability and authenticity, there's a power there, right? And I think it's one of those first turning of the lock of creativity, or at least the expression of creativity happens. But well said, thank you for that final thought. Ron, it's awesome to meet you. Thanks again for being on the show. How can listeners learn more about you? I know your book's on Amazon, it's on Audible, but do you have other material, website, are you on social media? Maybe give out some of those links so that people can follow you. If you're interested in the book, the best place to get it is you can get it at any bookstore, but once you do go to decodinggreatnessbook.com and send us your receipt because we will send you a free course on how to apply the strategies. Mm. Once you've purchased the book, all you need to do is just send us your receipt. You can also find me at ronfriedmanphd.com and at my company website, which is ignite80, ignite80.com. The reason it's called ignite80 is because over 80% of employees are not fully engaged at work. So The mission of Ignite 80 is to teach leaders science-based principles they can use to help elevate people's productivity and performance and make them healthier, happier, more successful. Maybe we'll have you back on to do another episode on that. Yeah, sounds great. (laughs) Ron, you're awesome. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Great to meet you and good luck with your new book. Thank you, sir. 
Thank you for listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast. Be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Oh,